Periodically, I hear people tell me that the Bible is an old, antiquated book and that it is not relevant to the modern man's needs. And when people say that, I draw the conclusion that they have not read the book. Because if you read the book, you realize that there are principles, there are teachings, there are lessons found in the Bible that can direct our lives, make us better. Uh, it can provide for us a roadmap from here to heaven. And a part of the scriptures that I find so relevant, so meaningful to today's challenges, is the book of Malachi. And you read that Old Testament book, and there's only four chapters to it, and, and you realize, you see what happens to people when they start leaving the Lord, I want to point out to you that the Bible deals with some touchy subjects. You think about people and talking about their faith, what they believe, their religion, if you will, and then you think about their family. You start talking about family and people become real defensive, especially if there's any criticism toward their family. But if you really want to get people angry and upset, talk about money. Talk about their finances. And here's what's really interesting. Malachi does not retreat from confronting each of these. Chapter 1 was what happens when you start losing your interest in the Lord. Talking about their faith. Chapter 2 that we studied about last Sunday evening was when the family falls apart. And Malachi didn't retreat from chapter 2, verse 16, for I hate divorce, says the Lord. And tonight we're going to talk about when money becomes your God. And if you'll really just take a little bit of time to think with me, Malachi is just systematically saying, here's how you people have started falling away from the living God. You're losing interest. Your families are falling apart. You're making money your God. And that's why you are in the situation you are in. Chapter 3 is going to address their robbing God. For just a few minutes, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the robbery. You know, that's the, the key word that you find in the, our reading for tonight. And then we want to talk about the reaction, God's reaction toward them, and then their reaction that God anticipates what He wants them to do. And then finally, the relevance for those of us living in the 21st century. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 8, just a section of what Brother Chris just read. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. The word robbery is a real unique word. It has some various meanings. For instance, if you're studying the book of Proverbs in chapter 22, verses 22 and 23, he says, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the souls of those who plunder them. Those word plunder? Same word for rob here in Malachi chapter 3. The 
idea of here's someone whose estate is out there, whose life is out there. And what you do, you go and you take something that belonged to them. You rob them. You plunder them. But their question was, in what way have we robbed God? Well, the first thing he says is in tithes. Now, here's where some of the relevance may be difficult for us because regardless of what some people say today, we do not tithe. The tithe of the Old Testament was a 10%, if you might want to call it a tax, but it was a, a designated amount to be paid by the Israelites to provide support for the Levitical tribe. The tribe of Levi did not get a land inheritance. Let me just take you to a couple of verses and prove this point. In Leviticus 27, verse 30, All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Notice that 10% belonged to the Lord, but then when you go to the book of Numbers, to chapter 18, verse 24, for the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I've said to them, among the children of Israel, you shall have no inheritance. They didn't get any land. And so God said, the 10%, the tithe, goes to you. So that's where you're going to get your grain. That's where you're going to get your animals. That's where you're going to get your vintage. That's where everything that you're going to need is going to come from is in that. Verse 26, speak to the, thus to the Levites and say to them, when you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. In other words, even the Levites had a responsibility to also give in giving to the Lord. So he said, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Now, offerings was different. It was what the children of Israel gave as a free will gift to God. It's as if like today when you and I decide on the first day of the week how we have been prospered and we offer a free will thanksgiving offering to God. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 25. Verses 2 and 3. Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. For everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Oh, you mean it's something in addition to their tithe. Yes, it is. But it was how the Lord's work was financed, if you will, among all of this. Chapter 35, verse 5, Take from among, among you an offering to the Lord who is of a willing heart. Let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. And then the same thing about the shekel and half shekel in chapter 30. But some people are looking at this and say, well, how does this robbery hurt God how does it hurt his cause under that Old Testament system? Well, if you don't support the Levites, then they can't do their job. You see, God had given them a job to do in taking care of the service of the temple. And, you know, this is significant in the book of Malachi because they just rebuilt the temple. 
And now all the Levites are to do their job, but the people aren't helping support the Levites. Nehemiah, in his record, records exactly what was going on. In Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 10, I also realized that the portion for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. In other words, because of what they were doing, the Levites were having to go out and work a secular type job. They're going to have to farm. They're going to have to do other things when they're supposed to be taking care of the services of the temple. It said in verse 11, So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. Okay, you need to realize your importance in doing all of this. But do you realize the same thing is true today? A failure to support the work of the church will cause the work to suffer. If we don't give like we ought to give, what's going to happen? There won't be missionaries going into the field. There won't be people preaching the gospel every day and teaching people on an everyday basis. You can see this well illustrated in Acts chapter 6. You remember there was a complaint about the Grecian widows, the Hellenist widows, who were neglected in the daily serving of tables. In Acts 6 and verse 2, the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. That's not the best thing to do. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 4, Paul tells Timothy, no one in Engaged in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You want somebody to fight the battle? You want a soldier on the field? You don't want him involved in taking care of other day activities. You want him to be a soldier on the field. So what does it hurt? What does it hurt if I don't give like I'm supposed to give? It's going to hurt the Lord's cause. Now let's look at verses 9 through 12 and God's reaction to what's going on. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there shall not be room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the wine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Do you see God's reaction? He's looking at them and he's saying, you have robbed me. And he said, because of that, you are cursed with a curse. Whenever we do anything, there's always consequences to our choices. If I choose to do right, God's going to bless me. If I choose to do wrong, God is going to curse me. And in fact, that's what Deuteronomy 11 verses 26 through 28 says. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. It's really your choice. Do you want God to bless you or do you want God to curse you? 
He said in verse 28, And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I commanded you today to go after other gods which you have not known. Well, what did that curse involve? God said you are cursed with a curse. Haggai's parallel prophecy gives an insight. In chapter 1, verses 7 through 11, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because my house that is in ruins and while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought on the land. Do you see the curse of God? You people want to do well. In fact, I always like the way he puts it. And he says, he who earns back money puts it into a bag with holes in it. In other words, you think you're getting ahead. You think you're doing good. But God said it's not going to prosper. You are cursed with a curse. But God said, try me. Test me. Put me to the test. You put me first. You bring your tithes. You bring your offerings. You give like you're supposed to give and see what will happen. That's not just Old Testament teaching either. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. But I say this, He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let everyone gives as he purposes in his heart, not of grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. He said, he that sows sparingly. I've laughed with several of you talking about, okay, have you planted your tomatoes yet? One dear lady told me this morning, I'm going to plant one plant. You know what you're going to get? One plants of tomatoes. You want plenty? Plant a whole lot of them. Oh, that makes sense. You want to know about the church growing? If we put the effort, we put the finances, we put our heart and soul into it, you know what will happen to the church? It will grow. Luke 6, verse 38. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over and shall be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. God said, what you give, he said, I want you to know that it's going to come back to you. It's going to be pressed down. In other words, you don't just give a little bit. I mean, you get a little bit back. You get a lot and you got to press it. You shake it. God is going to fill your bushel basket is what he's saying. The measure that you use, God's going to use that same measure. You know, here's the problem. We want to give the Lord a thimble full and we want to get back a bushel full. And what God said, if you'll use a bigger measure in your giving, you'll get a bigger measure coming back to you. Now, let's talk about the relevance for just a little bit. Let's look at verses 13 through 18. Because this really starts tying all this together. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? 
You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept His ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and those who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day I will make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. And then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Folks, that is a powerful passage of Scripture. They're saying it is useless to serve God. It really doesn't accomplish anything. The majority of the world thinks it doesn't matter whether you go to church or not. It doesn't matter whether you serve the Lord or not. It does not matter whether you give anything or not. If there's a God, He doesn't care. Now that's an attitude of a lot of people today. Do you think that's relevant? Do you think it's relevant when you go back there and you read these people saying, it's useless to serve God? Why can't we get more people to come to church? Because people really believe that. That if there's a God, He doesn't care one way or another. Their second idea to say it's useless, they call the proud blessed. They say you look around about you and you'll see wicked people doing just as well as righteous people, if not better. And so as you start thinking about it, there's no profit in me trying to be righteous. There's no profit in me trying to keep God's commandments. Only those who take care of themselves will succeed. Ah, now I'm beginning to understand the mindset. One mindset says, God is here. He's blessed me so much. I, out of my love and my devotion, want to give back to Him. The other says, it's selfish and says, it's mine, all mine. I don't want anybody else to have it. It's mine, like a two-year-old child. Why do people rob and steal from God? It's because of an inordinate desire for things. In our Sunday morning class in the auditorium this morning, we talked about that. First Timothy chapter 6, about covetousness. Verses 9 and 10, But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men uh, in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Their greediness... It's what guides their lives. Now money has become their God. In Exodus chapter 20, the 
giving of the Ten Commandments. Verse 15, you shall not steal. Verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet his male servant, his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that's your neighbor's. You see, the world we live in today says, if I see what you have and I want it, I can take it. Why do you think there's all these frivolous lawsuits going on where people sue someone else for millions of dollars? Hey, I can do it and I can get away with it and I can take what's yours. Why are the people trying to call you on the telephone and ask you for your bank account number? Because they want to steal from you. They want what you have and they want to keep it for themselves. Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and commits a trespass against the Lord, lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or a pledge, or about robbery, or if he is extorted from his neighbor, or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning and swears falsely, if in any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins. He's saying this inordinate desire. And it shall be because he has sinned and he is guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing which is extorted or what was delivered to him for safekeeping or what lost thing which he found or all about he has sworn falsely. He shall restore its full value, add one-fifth more to it, and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. God said, you want to do what's right? He said, you give what you've taken. And you add 20% to it. You know, sometimes I like math. I minored in math in college. I start pressing the calculator buttons and I say, okay, person doesn't give to the Lord and you start trying to give back. Well, where does that leave you? Boy, you... You've got a major thing if you've been stealing from God. Joshua chapter 7, Achan had taken of the devoted thing at Jericho. And Achan describes how it worked in his own mind. He said, and when he answered Joshua, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and what I have done. When I saw among the spoils... A beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and I took them. Now, I want you to imagine what's going on here. They go to the city of Jericho. This is a city they marched around for seven days and on the seventh day, the seven times, and the walls fell down and they marched in and they took the city. Here's Achan, he walks in and... He finds the, the beautiful garment there. He finds the gold. He finds the silver. He said, I coveted them and I took them. I saw it. I wanted it. I took it. And he said, I see him when I did that. Money has become their God. And unless you think that that's the right way to express it, Ephesians 5, verse 5, For you know that for, no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man 
who is an idolater. How's a covetous man an idolater? That is now his God. That's what he serves. That's what he lives for. It's easy to become selfish, to focus on wealth and what it brings. And the devil's tools are on our televisions, our radios, our billboards, and the magazine advertisements. You've got to have more. You've got to buy this. You've got to have that. If you don't have the latest, then you're, you're going to be behind. And we become so obligated to pleasing ourselves that we have little to nothing to give God. In Matthew 6 and verse 24, Jesus put it very simply, No man can serve two masters. For either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the Aramaic word for money. You can't serve God and money. You've got to make up your mind what you are seeking, what you are pursuing. See, here's the, the bottom line for the people in the Malachi's day and for the people right here tonight. Why was the book of Malachi written? You people are losing interest in God. You people, your families are falling apart because you are driven by all these other desires and you have made money your God. And you know what ends up with people who do that? They're lost. They are lost. It may be that tonight you need to step back and say, what are my priorities? What is the most important thing in life? The most important thing in this life is whether or not you go to heaven. What would a man be profited if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Let me tell you what, on the day that judgment comes, you would give anything and everything to be standing on the right hand of God. That's what God is wanting from you. But He's wanting it now. He's wanting you to make that kind of commitment. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, willing to repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized, that's making the commitment. That's saying, now I have put the Lord first in my life. But these were God's people. And what God was calling upon them to do was, as Haggai chapter 1 verse 7 says, consider your ways. Look and see what you're doing. Look and see how you're living. And if you're not doing what's right, change, repent. We can pray with you. We're going to sing the song, I Am Resolved. And if you are resolved, would you not come as together we stand and sing.